Good morning. We are uh, we're ready to start our BFG time now. And um, again, if you, if you are one of the BFG leaders and you want to um, talk to me about trying to get your own group started again, you can certainly do that. But we'll be looking for everybody to get that going by the fall time. So, but today we're combined. We have about a half hour so that we would be aligned with our children's Sunday school program. And so my first question about our message tonight is, what about the presence of Satan to accuse Joshua? So what, what, other, what did that remind you of? There's other cases in the Bible where we learn about Satan and his role as an accuser. What other things did that remind you of? Any thoughts on ways to amplify on that idea? Sorry. Just reminded me of the beginning of Job, where Satan is in the presence of the Lord, and God says, Look, "Have you considered my servant Job?" And then Satan goes to task on him. Yeah, in in that case, Job, um, Satan's basic accusation is not that Job is doing something wrong, right? And so, in that, but it's a uh, he he questions Job's loyalty and faithfulness. And says, does he not serve you only because you protect him and give him so many blessings? And so Joe, Satan's attack is really a questioning of Job's, does, is he love God for God? Or does he love God for the stuff that he gets from God? And so God let him be tested. And so that, that's a scary whole scenario. Yeah. Other references to uh, Satan as the accuser in the Bible, or other teachings about Satan anywhere that you'd want to amplify here, Barb? Well, just the temptations of Christ. Uh, you know, that was a direct contact right there. So he was lying to Jesus and trying to accuse him. If you're the Son of God, keep making him question the most foundational parts of his identity. Yeah. Good. What other things does... Well, he started out in the Bible. Uh, his first contact was Eve, you know, trying to make her question God's promise. Yeah. yeah. His motivations were to bring death and destruction on the whole planet, and he succeeded by, by uh, tempting Eve and questioning God's word. Did God really say? And then ultimately the implication... God probably doesn't really love you. Otherwise, he'd let you be wise like he is. And, and so he, the, he, he, he inflamed the pride in Eve's and Adam's heart. It's scary to me that Adam wasn't deceived and deliberately rebelled. So he understood exactly what he was doing. Other thoughts that the um, passage about Joshua being accused... Any other? I remember the Lord Jesus in the <clears throat> Lord's Prayer. One of the main petitions is, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right, so there's a direct, it, it needs to be a component of our awareness. Also, uh, Peter teaches about Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. So those who have, um, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're willing to humble yourself before God, then he can, 
is more able or more willing to help you with his grace to overcome that. And I think there's another, doesn't uh, John say in the book of Revelations that Satan, that great accuser of the brethren, I think is another reference. And I think in 1 John there might be some references to Satan as the accuser. So it's, a, it's an important thing to understand. How does he manifest his accusations today? If you ever feel accused, what kind of things do you feel accused? Or do, what accusations do you hear? I think you've talked about it on numerous occasions that it's hard for us to just accept that we're forgiven. I mean, you know, I've done some pretty bad things and I don't want to forgive myself and it's hard for me to believe that, you know, the creator of the universe is that, loves me that much and forgiven me. Yeah. Yeah, in our human emotional economy, at least the way I think, um, if somebody really, really, really did me wrong, I'll say that I forgive them. I'll go through the motions to look like I'm doing the right thing but I'm always going to hold that one. That's how I think I would be. And so it's really hard for me not to view God doing the same because I really, really hurt him. And it's, I, I am tempted by my weakness to say, he's just trying to look like a righteous and holy God. And so he says he forgives us, but we all kind of know he's still, got, he's still holding back. You know, we are limited, right? And we have to constantly remind ourselves that he is not limited, yeah. that he is just able to do what he says he will do, yeah. even if we're not able to forgive like he wants us to forgive. Yeah, there's, there's multiple heresies in my line of thinking that he won't, right? One of them is failing to recognize that he is God, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other ones, he said that he does, and it really is true that our sins are as far as from the east as from the west. And he, But the other thing is that when I talk that way, I fail to recognize how significant Jesus' payment was. You see, I, if I really understand what Jesus went through, then I would say, oh, it really is paid for. You see, when I hold on to my God's got a grudge against me thinking I'm diminishing the work of Jesus. I'm saying his work wasn't enough to get rid of God's grudge, which, you know, God doesn't have a grudge. But, you, but my thinking is messed up, right? I'm devaluing Jesus' blood when I don't accept the full forgiveness. So that is what the enemy does is he accuses us. How dare you talk like that about how good Jesus is? I know how naughty you are. I know how bad you are. And he accuses us, and we need to stand up against that and say, Yes, I am wicked, but Jesus paid it all, and I'm without fault and free from accusation now, so I'm okay. And so, yeah, so the, the accusations are still present today. Any other thoughts on that? Did that make anybody think of something? The most significant lie that I hear or I tell myself is I'm a failure, and, and when things aren't going good, that's the first Three words that pop into my head when I'm having a parenting struggle or something's not going good. I'm a failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. And it's this, like, it's three words on repeat often in my own heart. And it moves to a point of, you're a failure. God doesn't actually love you. Those promises about loving, those are for people who are nice and clean and who do everything right and you've done nothing right. You're a failure, so why would anybody like you or love you? And um, 
I guess to combat that lie, it's just remembering, yeah, I am like Joshua with the filthy rags. They're telling that truth, acknowledging the truth. But Jesus did it all anyway, you know. He has a promise right there. Yeah, I think that is a good remedy is to, and that's where confession comes in. He says, oh, you bet I am a failure. Yes, for sure. I did lose it all, but Jesus makes it different. And so uh, he's working, and he who began a good work in me will not fail to complete it. So I am a work in progress, and someday I will be perfectly righteous. And so yeah, I'm still failing here and there, but I'm getting better. I'm growing and by his grace. And hey, just in case you forget, his strength is shown perfect in my weakness. So the fact that I fail as a parent, that's, uh, that's to show you that Jesus is a better parent than me. So that we're all on the same team. <laughs> we, all, we all know I need help. Yeah. Good. Any other thoughts that, about that? Or we're triggering? What about this terminology about um, when he said, you're a branch or a, a burning stick snatched from the fire. What does that uh, remind you of or any other thoughts in the Bible or what kind of imagery? I tried to capture it, but I'm not sure I got it. What is, what's this branch snatched from the fire mean? I mean, by our own self, we should be burning in hell. And so he snatched us all from that burning in hell, and that's what it made me think of. So it's an image of our future that's not going to happen. Other thoughts? I know there's a lot of good scholars on this side I need to include. The image I got from that is when it said he pulled us from the pit, um, you know, pulled from the pit or pulled from the burning pit. Um, I mean, he reached down and got us because we couldn't do it. Yeah, so we were in a bad way on this earth. We get in trouble, and it's like a burning fire for sure. Any other thoughts? I, I, I also picked up the image that it may have burned his hand, right? I mean, there's a, he did it at no uh, shortage of pain to himself. It's interesting. The, um, there's other images, you know. Remember Isaiah saw the Lord's temple and there was a, there was a, um, a coal burning. And uh, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. And then God took that coal and touched Isaiah's mouth and it purified Isaiah's mouth. So I don't know if there's any connection between that and the burning stick or image or not. But Joel, you got an idea? I thought um, one thought that I had is he would, it was obvious that Joshua had just been pulled from the fire, which is different from instances when I feel like uh, Radjak Meshach and Abednego were pulled from the fire without any, it didn't even look like they had been burned. There was no smoke on them or anything. And I thought of uh, David when he was pulled from the den of lions. He had, there was not even a hair hurt upon him. So it, and I don't know 
what I mean, my first thought was, why is it different in this case opposed to those? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And it's also in the line of argumentation or reasoning with when he's talking to Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. I have chosen Jerusalem, right? The Lord rebuke you. Is this not a fire snatch? So it's almost like still continuing the explanation to Satan or to us why God is able to rebuke Satan. Is this not one that I... So in that, what does that make you think? Is this not one that I have snatched from the fire? And if he's talking to Satan still... Is this not a brand? Like a metal brand? Yeah, okay. That's interesting too. So the heated metal. I don't know. I'd have to do more search to see. I didn't study that wording. Okay. Yeah. So it's watch English. But yeah, the brand connotation for English picks up the idea of a metal that can sear you with a scar, a shaped scar. And we're gonna we're gonna publish a we're gonna we're gonna have a branding ritual. We're gonna say the church of the high maintenance pastor. And it's funny, uh, nobody's signing up for that, so I guess. Chimp church of the high maintenance master. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the action, what I picked up sort of also is, does he not say that I have pulled from it? So you be quiet, Satan. I'm taking action. I'm pulling this stick out of the fire. I get to choose. I'm in charge. So the sovereign power of God to rescue us is certainly evident, even if we can't figure out all the, all the imagery of what's going on. And yeah, yeah. I just really liked the imagery of it. I nothing deep. It just, yeah, that made a lot of sense. And for me, it sort of evoked from Ephesians: we were dead in our transgressions, and then made alive in Christ. That black to white transition, this burning stick, just pulled out. I thought, yeah. I thought it was a really cool metaphor. And, and the metaphor also communicates the powerlessness of us to pull ourselves out of the fire. Right? We're already, already. Yeah, the wrath of God is already being revealed against those who reject God. It's not like if you don't do something, you're going to get God's wrath. We are already under his wrath, and Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, there's good. That'll preach. That'll preach too. How about the filthy clothes? Any thoughts on expanding that? Any other examples? So almost like a leprosy reference, right? Any comments or thoughts on the filthy clothes? Thank you. The woman with the issue of blood and how Jesus cured her, she was not afraid to touch him, even though there were probably people, I can just picture that, that people were just moving away from her. Yes, she was ceremonially unclean, 
and was unclean, and she was not allowed to be touched by her family for all those years, and there was it's a secret uncleanness maybe, but it was a horrible experience for her. And when she touched Jesus for healing, he was he knew that power had gone out from him, but he was not diminished. You know, that, that power of Jesus is so great that when he touches the leper, he doesn't become unclean. Everybody else would have become unclean. You would have, could have been clean. You touch a leper, you become unclean. But with Jesus, his cleanness is so absolute that he cleans the unclean. It's backwards. There's nothing else in history or in, in biology that works that way, right? In chemistry, you, you add poison to a bucket, the bucket gets poison. You can't put a drop of clean into a poison and make the poison go away, except Jesus could do that. You, know, you can put a clean water in a bucket of poison all you want. It won't fix it. So that's pretty amazing, too. I just, I could empathize with Joshua's humiliation, right? Standing there in, uh, in all of the, um, it wasn't just drywall dust, right? It wasn't just gardening dirt. It wasn't even just sweat from the workout. <laughs> yeah, we've all got that in my glasses. Um, but it was, it was uh, stuff out of a um, porta potty and all over them. And, and that's, um, you know, we love our sin. It's it's not worth loving. It's it's a it's a lie that it's a it's a temporary pleasure. It's not beautiful at all. Any other thoughts on the dirty clothes? Yeah. You know, I think that's Just a minute. We we want to record it for the audience because we'll drop a podcast. So. Okay. Um, I I may have missed if it was discussed earlier, but here in this case, they changed his filthy garments. But in a similar thing, when Jesus was talking to his disciples at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, he wanted to wash their feet, which again emphasizes our daily walk is not a clean walk. We need not only get rid of our filthy rag clothes, but we need to daily cleanse ourselves. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good reminder. It, it points out that we're in this already not yet scenario. We're already part of Jesus's kingdom We've already been washed, and when Peter says something, well, if not, if I need that, then not just my feet, my whole body as well. And Jesus said, no, you, those who have been cleaned do not need. It's just, this is sufficient. And so that's a good reminder that until we get to heaven, when we are made perfect, then there is still the daily soil of life that happens. And we, anyone who says he's without sin is a liar, so we still have to ask God for forgiveness. Everything about... What Larry said is good, except the very last word. Did you hear the last word? We need to clean ourselves. No, we, we, we get cleaned by he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we don't, yeah. So I knew what you meant, but I just corrected the last word. Just so you would have a safe drive home. And no, no lightning strikes or anything. Yeah. Okay, um. So tell me about your fig tree. 
when you get there in the new heavens and the new earth, what's it going to be like when you invite me over? Are we going to sit underneath a fig tree or a vine? Or is it going to be... What's the, what's the image of the peace that God's giving you? You're going to be sitting under an orange tree. All right. <laughs> that was grown in Brownsville, Texas. I, the, the best orange I ever had was when I was a kid, and it just came off a tree and just peeled it right there and ate it. And so that's what you're going to be sitting under. All right, so a Brownsville, Texas orange tree is going to have a hard time competing with the tree of life, I'm sure, but it's going to be, it's going to be right up there. Isn't that something? The same Lord who gave us, gives us that, even under the age of the curse, can you imagine what vine-ripened fruit's going to be like in that day? Scripture tells us the new earth comes about because the old earth is destroyed by fire. So you're asking us to imagine what is not will be created by perfect God. He has described life where Jerusalem comes down from heaven, that large cubic city described by uh, distances. So it would be a saying describe your new life after you're married, before you're married? Well, I understand what you're saying, but I disagree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <clears throat> Only because I've been informed by Dr. Whitmer that heaven is a place on earth. We're still earthlings. And the word for destroyed by fire can also be well interpreted as purified by fire. And so the new heavens and the new earth are different there is no corruption, so we won't recognize a lot of parts of it. And there's no sea, and there's no sun, because it's light all the time. But there is still the reality that we are earthlings, and we don't lose our earthlingness. We have a new body, but Jesus was able to function on this earth in his new body, and our body's going to be like his. So I would argue that there will be some continuity between what... Um, we have now and what we have then. So maybe not a Texas orange tree, but it'll be um, like unto it in a better way. And, and Tim is right. It'll be more than we can possibly imagine. But it will also be, there'll be continuity. I, th I think we will be able to recognize each other, which means that I'm going to actually ultimately come to grips with peace with my own face. It's actually going to be an okay face, even though, eh, not so much right now. But part of it is I'll, part of it was our, my perspective will be transformed too. But we aren't going to be 30 feet tall, right? I think we'd still be recognizable. So proportionately, I, it, we're speculating a little bit. Help me out, Professor. It was interesting that you, you looked back to a memory, a beautiful memory. And I think that both Micah and Zechariah are actually referring back to First Kings, where it says in the time of Solomon, they, they dwelled in safety, and everyone was under their own vine and own fig tree. And so I think that in some ways, Zechariah and Micah are inviting Israel to look back and say, look at this beautiful time in our history. We're going to experience that again, except I think it's, again, even better. right? And so I think it is good to... What is the new heaven and new earth going to look like? I, I think um, we're following a biblical pattern 
by thinking, what are, what are the beautiful things in our experience? And now amplify that. So. Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to, to push back a little bit, Tim, that it won't be unrecognizable necessarily. But we might not have golf courses. Might be too boring. Maybe some other stuff that's so much more fun. Like my house has an F-14 garage for the F-14. So. And the crew, they live next to yeah. Okay, to F-22, all right. Lower maintenance. Oh, that's right, man. Okay, it'll be a peaceful version with a, it won't have any weapon system, it'll just be fast. Everybody's hearing just my responses to all of your, so I'm sorry for you on the podcast that you just missed some great banter about witty banter. It was excellent, yeah. I know that there's no marriage there because we're all, we all have a different kind of relationship, but Tammy and I are still going to hang out a lot. I just kind of want you to know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm open for that, too. Yeah, curse is banished. Tammy may not want to hang out with me. That's a good point. A thing that stood out to me in this passage was I really thought it was a good a good metaphor of how in Hebrews it talks about how Christ is better than the high priest and I thought it was a really good um, added visual of of that you know so that that's that's where my thoughts were yeah I can't wait to talk to that Joshua the high priest someday and and hear him preach about I was the high priest, and I had my sins washed away, but it was because of a greater high priest that was coming. So that would be good, too. Any other closing or final thoughts on our message this morning? Glenn. I think it's just interesting as you look at the way you presented it in the, the steps. It was relatively simple message, straightforward message. But as we get into discussions, we make it so complicated. And I think that goes all the way back to the, the comments about Eve and Garden of Eden. You know, she wanted to know everything. She wanted to be all money and they want to all the, have all these answers. And sometimes that's our biggest sin. That's one of the dirty things we have is we think we need to know everything and we need to make ourselves be God. So I think that's one of the things that I get, I get trapped up with a lot, going back to the original question, you know, what, are, what, are, what we challenge with, it's, you know, thinking we need to know everything. And God says, you're not going to know everything. Just trust me. Trust and obey. Now that's a good reminder. I understand what you're saying. And it would be idolatrous for us to try to think that by understanding everything that we would do better or any of that, but it also says in the text that we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, right? And so sometimes we press each other into the meditating on what does the stick from the fire metaphor mean to us. So in community, we can hear one another respond to that. And what happens is the word of God becomes more than an objective set of facts. 
it becomes something that impacts our life. And it hits our heart. And I heard a good message this week that the word of God is true and powerful. And it's really great that it's true. But if it was only true and didn't also powerfully hit your heart, it would, it would be only a partial description of what it really is. It is living and active, and it does burn in our hearts, and it makes a difference in who we are. Can you believe that we're even getting better? I mean, really, you think about it. Sometimes I look out the window of my life into the world through media or whatever, and it's just so discouraging. Saying, Does anybody get it right? And then I'm reminded, wow, there's a lot of us that get it right, and it just keeps getting better, and that's evidence of God's work. So God's word is true. We don't have to understand everything. It would be an idol to think what we would elevate our knowledge. I hear you for sure, Glenn. It's also great to be encouraged and grow in our understanding of that person. Well, that's the end of our time, and so unless somebody has something, I appreciate your participation. Somehow we're going to have to get a, a mic that flies around the room or something, but yeah, like the ones they hang above stadiums, you know, with the, the camera. Okay. Jane's ride is here. All right. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this discussion. Help us to walk in the power of the forgiveness that we have, just like Joshua the high priest. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, our great high priest. In your name we pray, amen.